0: about FBC is that we have a lot of incredible ministries going on here, don't we? Like, you, got, you guys know this. There, there's a lot of really good things happening in the life of FBC. And in fact, the staff was recently um, doing a little bit of studying and, and looking into some numbers, and, and we discovered that there are over, I, I don't know if you believe this, but there are over 350 Regular serving slots at FBC. And so when you think of Awana or the youth ministry, the hospitality team, uh, tech team, Sunday school teachers, uh, everything. When you think of everything, the list goes on and on. And so let's just say for a moment that uh, these serving slots, they require an average of a couple hours a week. I, I know that's not true of everyone. Um, some require 30 minutes to an hour, maybe even only once a month. Um, but there's others that require 5, 6, maybe even 10 hours a week. Praise the Lord, right? So, so let's say there's an average of maybe a, 2 hours uh, a week for, for each. That's, if, if that's true, that's, that's over 700 hours of serving every week here at FBC. Just, just trying to give perspective of what God is doing and, and how much is going on. That's a lot of ministry. And so here's the question that, I, that I'm thinking about. Who's giving leadership to all of this, right? In order to care for these important ministries, and we have so many of them, someone's got to spend time preparing, praying, and leading each ministry, and so what do we have? We have some amazing, incredible volunteers who faithfully show up each week to serve. We, we have an incredible staff. They go above and beyond what's asked of them to make ministry happen. I have a front row seat to that, and it just, it's just amazing how hard they work. We, we have an awesome group of elders who, who give themselves wholeheartedly, laying down themselves to shepherd and oversee the church. But here's the deal. The Bible teaches, and we learned this a little in this series already, that the Bible teaches that, that our elders are to give primarily their time to shepherding and oversight of God's people. This is primarily done through the ministry of the word and of prayer. And so if, if you think about all that we do as a church, as you can imagine, it takes a lot of administrative and logistical uh, leadership to, to facilitate over 350 volunteer slots, and if it's 700 hours a week of serving, uh, that, that's a lot of serving. I mean, even, even if those numbers are off, right? Like if it was 500 hours or if it was 800 hours. So, so if the pastor elders are, are focused primarily on the ministry of the word and prayer, who's going to lead the army of volunteers to do all the other good, important things in the life of our church? Well, the Bible actually gives us an answer. Uh, The Bible gives it a name. It's the role of deacons. This is what we're going to talk about today, and we're going to actually look at what the Bible says about deacons. Now, I realize we we currently don't use the term deacon in leadership roles here at FBC, uh, but let me give you a few examples of what could be considered deacon roles based on what the Bible says about them. So, one example would be our friend John Demmel. He, he leads the facility team here at FBC. He oversees paid custodians and volunteers who help with regular maintenance. He, he's fulfilling a role which aligns with that of what the Bible calls deacons. Another example would be Chad and Lacey Liskey. Many of you know them. They, they oversee our nursery ministry, which cares for the little ones during our worship services. They 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 enable parents to actively participate in worship. They they kind of facilitate the volunteers who help care for our children. Barb Thompson she serves as our treasurer, our bookkeeper. Uh, she faithfully tracks our church finances, uh, investments, and she does it with integrity and care. She wants to get it right. Uh, Barb is an example of someone who's fulfilling the biblical role uh, that the Bible would call a deacon in, in her responsibilities here at FBC. Uh, and then you have Larry Diepenbrock, serves on the front line as people contact the church office. He's there, he's faithful. Every week, Larry fields grace fund requests, he manages volunteer schedules, he supports the staff administratively, and he does so much more that, that nobody would even know. But the fact is, all of these people and, and honestly, many others whom I didn't even mention are serving in roles here at FBC that could be biblically defined as deacon roles. And so as I mentioned, we, we don't officially call them deacons here at FBC. Different churches will do different things. Some will call them deacons, some won't. Uh, but, but that's ultimately what these people are doing. And so you may have noticed some of the examples I gave. Some, some are in a volunteer capacity, some are paid. So, some are men, some are women. But all of them, they support the ministry of the elders. They, in, a, in a sense, they act as an extension of elder ministry. Now, a few years ago, I, I took some church leaders through a little, bit, a little book called Deacons, how uh, they serve and strengthen the church. Uh, we should have a slide that, that shows the book, but I've got a copy here. If you'd like to learn more about deacons, this is a great little resource. I found it extremely helpful. Actually, I haven't found another book like I found other books and resources on deacons, but this is this is a quick read and it's packed. Um, it goes into the Bible definition of deacons, illustrations of how deacons were used, and and how that even applies to our churches today. And so it's been really helpful in clarifying for for churches, um, places I've even been before of. Who and what deacons are, and so some of what I'm going to share with you today is is kind of pulled out of that book, and I'll, I'll mention that to you. But we're going to look at two primary primary passages of scripture this morning. Uh, the primary one is Acts chapter six, and if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Uh, we'll also go off and look at First Timothy three for a few minutes as well. Um, and so as we look at these texts what we're going to discover is that deacons, they aren't any less important than elders. They're, they're not just busybodies who take orders or do the jobs that nobody else wants to do. Being a deacon, it isn't like a stepping stone to becoming an elder down the road. The, the qualifications for elder and deacon are they're similar. Many of them are the same. But the role is actually different. Deacons, they require unique gifts from the Lord. And what we'll find in Scripture is that deacons, they lead. They, they lead by serving so that elders can focus on serving by leading the church spiritually. And so ultimately, deacons, they're mobilizers, they're problem solvers. They, they take the initiative to address issues with systems and logistics and resources. And, and they do this so that the elders can primarily attend to the ministry of the word and of prayer. And so deacons, they many times, they're leading with their hands, which frees up the elders to give attention to the primary focuses of teaching and praying. Deacons give their primary attention to maintaining and managing ministry, which includes the physical work and administration of the church. And so let's start by looking at the first deacons of Scripture, Uh, The context is in Acts. We're going to look at Acts chapter 6, but I'll I'll give you a little summary of how we get there. So Peter, he preaches this sermon, preaches the gospel. Bunch of people become believers. We see that in Acts chapter 2. The church multiplies to thousands basically overnight. Got all these people who are transformed by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit now, uh, walking in light of the gospel of grace. And, And we see things are going pretty well when we get to Acts chapter 4. And let, let me just read you a couple of verses here. Acts chapter 4, to give you some context. says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that of any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but that they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. Guys, this is the church functioning really, really well. Like, it's, it's ours to share with one another. We're, we're, we're going to meet needs. We're going to take care of one another. But what about a couple of chapters later? The church continues to grow. But in Acts chapter 6, we can see that some of the members are now upset. Let's pick it up in verse 1 of Acts chapter 6. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you Seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parna, Parnamus, Nicolaus, Crosslight of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples they multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so what do, what do we see here? We see that there's a need. The the Grecian Jews, called Hellenists, they filed this complaint against the Hebrews. Their widows are, as the text says, being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And so the apostles, these first century elders of the church, could have rebuked them for their complaint. They could have said things like, guys, don't you see how good things are going? We're we're growing in numbers, like we just got to deal with this. Can't you just be content? and We're we're just going to press on and keep going. But if you notice, that's that's not how they respond. This is a serious issue, and the apostles, they treat it that way. The apostles, they see a situation in which a need arises. There could have been division among the church. There could have been overwhelming frustration. But honestly, that's not what happened. Instead, the apostles... They jump into action to meet the need, and they do it in a very interesting way. And so here's a few things that we can learn from this text about church leadership. The first is, word ministry is prioritized. You see it? Verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. If you've been attending church for a while, when you think of coming together and gathering as a church for worship, what comes to mind? What do you think of? You may think of the songs that we sing, right? You may think of seeing your friends. You may think of the prayers that we pray. You, you probably also think of the word being preached. That's a central part of what, what we're doing. That's why we gather. We gather to sing. We gather to see our friends we haven't seen during the week. We gather to pray together. We gather to give, to serve, to encourage one. Another. But at the, at the center of why we gather, we gather to hear the word of God preached. That's the most important thing. So we're a church who does, does quite a bit to serve one another, aren't we? We're, we're a church here at FBC. We love to share meals together. We love to help other people in the churches as they have needs. We love to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But we must be careful, listen, we must be careful that we never start doing all those good things at the expense of the word ministry. When, it, when I was training to become a pastor, I remember sitting down in my office and my pastor, I was on staff at a church. And my pastor, he told me, he said, Mike, there are many, many really important things that you'll need to spend your time doing as a pastor and he, he told me a bunch of them. I mean, there's, there's an immense number of things. And he said, you're not going to be able to do all of them well. You just don't have time. You don't have capacity. But, but your job is to lead the staff and the elders. Your job is to show hospitality and model service to others. You, you've got to get out into the community and build relationships with spiritually lost people, not just sitting around in an office. But but by far, the most important thing that you need to do, Mike, is to preach the Word. You've got to prioritize, above all else, preaching the Word over these good things. And that message has stuck with me for years. that, That I've got to prioritize my time as your pastor for the Word ministry. And so teaching the Bible... And my preparation for teaching the Bible is the very first thing that goes on my calendar as I block out time during the week. Because in my role, that's the big rock that takes the most space. And, And the Bible says it should be. And so the very most important thing that I can do as your pastor is to spend time in prayer and studying God's word in preparation to teach you. Now our great spiritual foe, the devil, wants wants Jesus' church to get distracted from the word, doesn't he? And so years ago, I, re- I remember thinking, well, I-, I used to think distractions, they were only those immoral, sinful things like, like gossip and slander and hard hearts and things like that, divisions in the church. Maybe you can think of some things. But what I've come to realize is that it's actually possible for a church to get distracted by doing really good things. We could be distracted from the word of God by other important things. Important things like church social events or painting projects or counting the offering. Maybe, maybe the roof starts to leak and we've got to get it fixed or database management or all these things. The list goes on and on. Keeping financial records in order. As these are all really good, they're important things and we should not neglect them. Hear me. But Listen. If if our church could get distracted by good things like these, and we can. We we can get distracted by good things like these if your pastor and your elders start to spend a bunch of time doing these kinds of things at the expense of prioritizing word ministry. Because if if we do, we won't have the adequate time to pray, to shepherd groups of people, to, to, to study the Word, to teach it to you. Now, as a, as a reminder of what I've shared before, there are many ways that the elders teach the Word of God to, the, to God's people, the church. Counseling, one-on-one meetings, uh, Sunday school, life groups, Bible studies. There are so many ways that our elders need to be equipped with the Word to teach it. But this is the first thing Acts 6 teaches us, is that word ministry is prioritized. And so what happens when deacons, administrative staff, and other volunteers from the church, they do these important administrative, logistical, and facility-related functions. What happens is your pastors and your elders, they're freed up to prioritize word ministry. They're freed up to pray with people. They're they're freed up to do those important things roles that they're called to do. And so deacons, they provide support for very important jobs so that word ministry can be a priority. They, they lead and they oversee ministry volunteers for the good of the congregation and the glory of God. Now the second thing we see in Acts chapter 6 here is character is essential. If you look at Acts 6.3, it tells us, verses on the screen, tells us that deacons must be of good repute and full of the Spirit and of wisdom. In other words, these these servants need to be respectable, living in step with the Spirit and filled with the wisdom of God. And and I believe that's the reason the apostles were the ones who chose the deacons. It's because character is essential. The, the apostles or the elders were, were spiritually shepherding the congregation. Because, and, and because of that, they, they knew better than just about anybody else in the church who in the congregation actually had the character to serve in this way. They were equipped with that wisdom and knowledge from the Lord. And this is really important because God cares more about character than ability. We see that theme throughout all of Scripture. He cares more about our character which is an outflow of the spirit working in our lives, then our ability. He equips different people for different things with ability. And so the apostle Paul's first letter to Timothy, a young pastor, it denotes this imperative of character. Let me show you. First Timothy 3, we'll start in verse 8 of this on the screen. It says deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. We don't have time to look at every single word that's, that's given here. Uh, that, that's good to study, but I'll, let's look at a few of these that Paul mentions to Timothy. The first one we'll look at is not double-tongued. And so since deacons are servants, you, you can imagine they'll spend a bunch of time interacting with other people. Sometimes they may even run into someone who's disgruntled or has a complaint. This is an opportunity for a deacon to show compassion, to listen well, but not to be double-tongued. You see, being double-tongued is a symptom of hypocritical pride. it's, It's saying one thing to a person or group of people and then saying something different to another person or another group of people. Or leaving something out that was really significant. And this is the same kind of person who who gossips by not talking directly to the people who are actually involved in the situation. Deacons aren't double-tongued. Another quality that is mentioned here is not addicted to much wine. Now, there's no prohibition of alcohol for church leaders or anything like that. We just don't see that in Scripture. But but deacons, it says they're, they're not to be drunk or dependent upon alcohol. Another character trait is not greedy. Sometimes deacons serve by handling church money. They, they may count and deposit the, the church offerings. They could oversee the, the grace fund here at FBC, which, which helps people in need. And so it's vital, it's absolutely vital that deacons have self-control and integrity when it comes to managing money. Another another character trait holds the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now the word mystery here has to do with an understanding of the gospel and Christian doctrine. Although deacons don't carry the primary responsibility of teaching the church, they should know their Bibles. Many, Many times deacons will be in situations in which they have an opportunity to speak biblical truth to other people. And so the question is not whether deacons will be theologians, the question is, will they be good ones? Deacons, as the text says, are tested. And so this means that, that we wouldn't ask someone to serve as a deacon just because they have free time. If we don't know them, haven't had experience with them, um, we wouldn't ask someone to serve as a deacon just because we sort of have a hunch that they might be a good fit. Well, deacons should already be actively serving, taking the initiative to solve problems, to foster unity in the life of the church. The Bible says deacons are also called to be faithful to family. If deacons are married, it doesn't say they have to be, but if they are, they must love and care for their spouse and kids well. And you might be thinking, okay, what about women? Although the Bible points elders to being men, Deacons are a bit different, and there's different churches that believe different things about these things and interpret the scripture a bit differently, but with deacons, it's not quite as clear as as we would believe it is with elders. The the Bible doesn't explicitly say whether women may serve as deacons or not. However, there's no reason to believe that scripture indicates that women can't serve as deacons. And let me get, just give you a couple thoughts to consider. We could go deep into this, but I'll just give you a couple thoughts. Uh, first would be Romans 16, verse 1. We see an example of a female servant who, who may have served in the official office of deacon. We don't know for sure she was in that office, but, but many people who've studied this believe that she did. Her name's Phoebe, and the, and the word for servant used in reference to her in the Scripture is the same Greek word or lemma for, for deacon, diaconos. And so also with, with deacons, there's, there's no biblical expectation to, to exercise authority and to be able to teach the church like, like there is with elders. And so for elders, those are the qualifications. Therefore, it seems that the Bible allows us to invite both men and women to serve as deacons. Again, there's different churches that have different perspectives on that. And so regardless of where, where you land on the details of this issue, what's most important and what you really need to hone on into here is character is essential. Character is essential. Now another lesson we can learn about deacons from Acts 6 is service is primary. Look back at verse 2. It says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So what does it mean to serve as a deacon? There's a, there's a couple of descriptions from, from this, this little book about deacons that are helpful in understanding exactly how deacons serve. And I'll use the language that he used in the book. I think this is helpful. Uh, first, deacons serve as shock absorbers. And, and so as we look at the issue that, that quickly arises in Acts chapter 6, we see that if it's not dealt with properly, the, the neglect of food distribution could have easily become an extremely divisive threat to the unity of the church. The, the Hellenists, they were, they were outsiders who immigrated to Jerusalem, while, while the Hebrews, they, they grew up in the area. They were from there. And so you can imagine, there, there were cultural, ethnic, and language differences between the Hellenists and the Hebrews. And, and you can probably imagine how, how dicey this situation could have gotten if it wasn't dealt with appropriately in a unifying way. And so it's very plausible that the Hellenists, they, they would begin to gossip and blame the Hebrews for treating them as lesser citizens, not thinking about them, not caring about them, not doing what they're supposed to do for them. But in response, it's also possible that the Hebrews would begin to throw out defensive claims and to attempt to protect their, in, their integrity. Guys, the honest truth is, in Acts chapter 6, this could have, like the church was going well. It was healthy. But there was a problem. And this could have blown up really abruptly. But the apostles, the, the first century elders, they handled this correctly. And they, they did it in a unique way, didn't they? We see them delegating the problem. They didn't delegate the problem because it wasn't important. This, isn't, this is good to know. It, they delegated the problem because it was important. And somebody needed to give time and care for it. They recognized that delegation was actually the key to developing growing disciples. To bringing more people into the life and leadership of the church. I want you to look back at verse 5. We'll have this on the screen. You may not realize this, but all of these names listed, look at those names. All of these names listed are Greek names. And, and that means that the seven chosen to serve as deacons, they were Hellenists. They're the minorities of the church. And so in in his book, Matthew Smithhurst, he writes this. He says, The very minorities feeling the sting of unfair food distribution are the ones given a voice, tasked and empowered to make decisions on behalf of the whole church. Guys, the apostles do something incredible here. They make a decision, and it's rooted in unity. They, they, they look at these outsiders who have come in, the minorities who have come in, and they say, we believe in you. We see the problem. We care about the problem. And, and we believe that but with God's help, you can figure it out. And, and you know what? We're going to give you resources. And we're going to empower you to make decisions and give you responsibility. You see, the apostles believed that these Hellenist members of the church could actually figure out a solution to the problem while at the same time bringing unity to the church. Guys, that's what deacons do. Because at their heart, that's who deacons are. Here's the, here's the truth. Quarrelsome, complaining people make poor deacons. Because deacons, they're shock absorbers. As Matt Smithhurst says in his book, there are persons with fine-tuned conflict radars. They love solutions more than drama and rise to respond in creatively constructive ways to promote the harmony of the whole. And so deacons, they, they promote and they protect unity in the church by willing to absorb the shock of conflict Passivity and sin. A- another way that deacons serve is deacons are problem solvers. Again, this language comes from the book. The, the other thing we see in Acts 6 about deacons is, is that they're not actually commissioned just to complete a task. I mean, there's a task involved in what they're asked to do. But, but they're actually commissioned to be problem solvers. Look again at verse 3. Why is it important? That, that deacons are, as the text says, full of the spirit and of wisdom. Well, I'll tell you why. Because they need it. It's as simple as that. In and, and Acts 6, these deacons, they're commissioned to not just show up and, and move a few boxes, but they're, they're actually commissioned to solve the food distribution problem. And so at FBC, those who serve in roles that could be defined as deacon roles, they're commissioned to support the ministry of the elders and to identify and meet tangible needs. And so what does this involve? This involves knowing the the vision and mission of the church. This involves being devoted to the great commandment, the great commission. It's asking the elders, it's going proactively to them and asking them how they need support. It's spotting practical needs and then taking the initiative to meet those needs. Doing so respectfully, gently, with the heart of a servant. It's it's having that attitude of a servant leader that says, you know, if there's a tangible need in the church, I want to support the elders so that they can prioritize the ministry of the word and prayer. And biblical deacons, they're not looking for credit or accolades. They, they serve discreetly. Deacons, they they lay themselves down. They sacrifice at their own expense. And without being asked, they take the initiative to solve problems when they see a problem. They, they bring in the right people that they need to talk with to, to address the problem. And sometimes, sometimes it's going to the elders. Sometimes it's going to a staff member. Sometimes it's just getting a few buddies to help move somebody from one house to another. They anticipate issues. They organize plans. They mobilize others to help, and they lead through serving. That's the role of deacons, biblically. I want to read to you some final thoughts from Matt Smithhurst in his book. I think this is so helpful, just the perspective he has. He says deacons were God's idea. He loves deacons, and he wants us to also. But in order to rightly love the office, we must understand the Bible's glorious vision for it. No, we shouldn't elevate deacons to an executive board of pseudo-elders. It is an office of service, not oversight. But let us not reduce the role to savvy businessmen or skilled handymen either. Deacons are so much more. Listen to this, they are influential, an influential cavalry of servants called by the king and deputized by his church to target and meet tangible needs, to protect and promote church unity, to enhance the ministry of the elders, and in doing so, to accelerate the mission of the church. Wow. Deacons are vital to the church. Whether here at FBC, we give them the title or not. And I'm just so honored because I know as I look out, there's so many of you who who do that. So thank you. And I praise God for you. Because our church wouldn't be and become who we are and are going to be without you. Now, over the years, I've I've spoken with so many people about Considering the call to become an elder or a deacon. And often when it's the right person, the the person will say something to the effect of, well, I can't imagine that I'm capable of serving in that capacity. Or I, I just kind of looked through the biblical qualifications and I just, I mean, I know myself. I'm a wretched sinner. And you know, every time, every time I hear that from somebody, you know what? The person's telling the truth. So here's the truth. That nobody, nobody, nobody in this room, nobody in this church is qualified to serve as a deacon, elder, or a pastor on their own. Nobody. Absolutely none. But remember, Jesus is our head deacon. And so when Jesus took the towel on the eve of his betrayal, he got down on his knees and he began to wash his disciples' feet. He could have been doing so many other things that night. He knew what was coming, and what did he do? He takes the towel, he gets on his knees, and he washes his disciples' feet. Jesus, the King of all kings, which we've already sung about today, God himself Humbled himself to become a servant of all. And ultimately, he did that by going to the cross willingly to die a death that he never deserved to die. And, guys, he did it for you. He did it because he loves you. He did it because he knew that you needed it for your sin. Because you couldn't save yourself from your sin on your own. And so, as you consider the Christ-like qualifications for deacons and elders in your life, because honestly, whether we have the titles or not, like, that's who we're called to be. 1 Timothy 3, that's just a depiction of what it means to be a servant leader, a Christ follower. So as you think about those things in your own life, may Jesus' grace be sufficient for you. Whether, whether you're serving in a deacon-like role or not, as Christ's followers, we're all, called, we're all called to live aligned with these character traits of 1 Timothy 3. But because we can't do it on our own, and you, and you know that about yourself, Because we can't do it on our own, Jesus, he died in your place and he offers you eternal grace for your sin. And he invites us to to be welcomed in. And this is part of gathering on Sunday mornings that we're reminded of the great grace of Jesus Christ. He invites us and the welcome is, trust me, repent of your sin and follow me. By faith, the spirit will lead you to live like me, Jesus says. Because it's by the gospel that we're equipped and empowered to live out this call to be servant leaders in the church. And one more thing before I pray. Serving isn't primarily about getting something from you. There's an element of like you're giving, right? But serving isn't primarily about getting something from you. It's about what God has for you. And so let me explain The primary goal of serving isn't about just accomplishing a bunch of these tasks. God doesn't need any of us for that. He can do whatever He wants. But God's desire in our serving is that our hearts would be transformed. Because true service is the good fruit of a life changed by the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, just as you called your son Jesus to serve and to give up his life, God, you're calling us to serve by laying down ourselves for the good of others around us. May may the reality and power of your love transform us to walk in a place of trust, a place of repentance, a place of grace. God, God, set us free from our independence, the slavery of independence, the the self-centeredness of our independence, so that we would live freely in dependence upon you. Make our lives no longer about us, but about you. In Jesus' name we pray.